1: with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus said, I am the truth. And he also said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Yet our culture seems to be saying, you just have your truth. I have my truth. There is no the truth. All truth is relative. There are no absolutes. You can't know truth. You hear this all the time. Well, what really is true, ladies and gentlemen? Well, for that, I've got a fantastic guest on with me. He's been on before, and he is very astute at bringing truth to the younger generations because he's the president of Summit Ministries, a great ministry that actually has been around since as long as I've been alive, ladies and gentlemen, started by Dr. David Noble in 1961. Dr. Jeff Myers, my guest today, took over a number of years ago. And what they do at Summit, as you know, is they teach young people the truth, not only in theology and philosophy, but also apologetics. Two weeks, uh, several sessions, two-week two week sessions every summer, and uh, some other sessions that they do around the year. Well, Jeff has a brand new book. here. It's, uh, here's the title of it, Truth Changes Everything, how people of faith can transform the world in times of crisis. And that's what needs to happen, ladies and gentlemen. So here he is, Dr. Jeff Myers, ladies and gentlemen. Jeff, how are you from the great state of Colorado today? What's going on?
0: Hey, Frank. I'm doing great. Thank you. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this conversation. There's nobody I'd rather just talk about truth and relativism and all of that with than you. But well,
1: let's get into it. Uh, the book, yeah. how did it come about and what are the two main goals of the book? You stated it right in the uh, beginning.
0: You know, well, let me start with the two main goals. The first goal is just to at least bring up the fact that we've tipped. There's the balance is tipped in the United States of America. Uh, we just did a poll even just last week as we're trying to find out how to make sure this the, the book is really hitting where, where we want it to. And, and we found that in the rising generation, 55% of young adults say they believe truth is completely up to each person. Mm. There's no such thing as truth. Say you that again,
1: are you saying what What age group believe, is that across the board or just younger age group? That is the younger age groups.
0: Okay. So it literally drops by, by decade, Frank. This is so you look at people in their 60s, most of them believe there is absolute truth. Mm-hmm. People in their 50s, less sure, 40s, less sure. By the time you get down to 18 to 29 year olds, they're fairly sure. of them that there is no truth that applies to everyone Hmm. so the balance is tipped now We're in the place where it Frank and this is the weird part It's not just that people are saying "Well, you have your moral opinions Mm -hmm. And you're gonna say well speak your truth man, you know, which means give your opinions with confidence That's not what we're talking about Mm -hmm. anymore Mm We have a young generation that has literally been convinced that nothing is true. Not even the facts of the physical world can be known with any certainty.
1: I always ask people who say that, are you saying you could never call somebody out on a lie? I mean, think about that. <laughs> I mean, for, for lies to exist, truth has to exist. Yet these people who say there's no truth are always saying, you're lying, you're wrong, you're not, wait wait a minute. (laughs) It happens all the time. It happens all the
0: time. In in the media reports, you see something, and and instead of actually saying, well, I don't agree with so-and-so for these three reasons, they just say so-and-so's making a false claim. Right, right, yeah. But but see, you have to understand, if you can get to the place where you can even convince boys and girls that there is no difference between boys and girls, Mm -hmm. then you can convince them of anything. Yeah,
1: that's right, yeah.
0: And so, so the word false now is used in a derogatory fashion rather than as a reference to what's actually so or not so, it's used as a way to try to diminish a certain person's contribution. It's like calling, it's like name calling at this point.
1: So, so give us again, the, what are the two objectives of the book then?
0: Yeah, so the first objective is to just talk about the nature of truth. Mm-hmm. And the second one, Frank, because a lot of people have written books, you did this and I don't have enough faith to be an atheist and uh, uh, stealing from God, mm-hmm. in, in those books, you talk about this issue. I didn't wanna just go back and rehearse the philosophical arguments. Right. Uh, for truth, that's been done. I just wanted to go back in history and ask, have we ever been in a place where the crises we face were so bad that it didn't look like we could recover, and yet we did recover because Jesus followers spoke up and and, and acted and and really represented the truth. So I did, that's what I did. And I found out that it was Jesus followers who believed that Jesus is the truth, who are the ones who made the biggest difference in science, in the arts, in education, in justice, in politics, in medicine, and the care for people, and on and on.
1: Yeah, in fact, every chapter, and there are 14 chapters in the new book, the book is called Truth Changes Everything by Dr. Jeff Myers. The ch- every chapter has a different topic. For example, chapter five says, Of course, every chapter is a different topic. Gee, that was brilliant, Frank. (laughs) Duh. But I mean, it covers a different topic regarding truth. So question number, or chapter five, how Jesus followers have changed how we value human life. Chapter six, how Jesus followers have changed how we care for one another. Seven, how Jesus followers have changed how we learn and grow. And then you got one on science, one on the arts, one on politics, one on justice, one on how we work. Uh, And you go through all these and you have a lot of real world stories that carry your main points along, which makes it an easy read. I read this about six or seven months ago when uh, you asked me to give an endorsement and I I wholeheartedly gave a great endorsement. In fact, you have more people endorsing this book than not. It would be it would be easier. (laughs) It would be easier to tell me the people that didn't endorse the book that did, Jeff. I mean, this is impressive. Everybody's endorsed uh, how truth changes or truth changes everything, and how people of faith can transform the world in times of crisis. Well, let's just start on the philosophical level, though, for just a minute. Yeah. Uh, as our opening says, when somebody says there is no truth, you just say, "Well, is that true?" Aren't people assuming when they deny truth that truth actually exists?
0: If they use language, mm-hmm. they're assuming that truth exists. Mm-hmm. So yes, the point that you make in the, in the opening is, is, and that's one that you make with students at summit ministries, they're delighted to hear that, that if you say there's no truth, the question is, is that a true statement or is that just your opinion? Mm. If it is your opinion, you should say so in the same way that you say, I like vanilla ice cream as opposed to chocolate chip ice cream. Mm -hmm. If, If you, if you are making a statement that there is such a thing as, as a truth and that truth is the denial of all truth. The only way you can even get that point across is to use language to do it. So not only does truth rise, if somebody claims to say there's no truth, they're, they're proclaiming a truth, but the, the very use of language, that words have meaning. Mm. So it, obviously, there's probably agreement among a lot of people, for example, on things like, well, if I say that water boils at 212 degrees Fahrenheit at sea level, you know, it wouldn't somebody might say, yeah, it depends on the atmospheric conditions, but they wouldn't say, well, maybe that's true for you. Right, right. Or, you know, that's your opinion. Mm-hmm. No, because that's a scientific fact. But when it comes to moral issues, people start to waver and believers are really not confident about this. Mm-hmm. But let me let me just give you two two statements. Statement A, it is good to care for abandoned puppies. Mm. Statement B, it is good to torture abandoned puppies. Mm-hmm. I give that to people who say there's no such thing as truth and just defy them to tell me there is no difference between those two statements Mm. because we know that words have meaning. And then you go on from there into facts, you know, that we, we can distinguish between facts and opinions that we can know things about the world to be true. And that gives us an indication that even when it comes to issues that are, are difficult, You know, should we have abortion or not have Mm -hmm, abortion, mm -hmm. that there are facts we can bring to bear in the situation.
1: Well, we hope to bring a lot of facts to the conversation today. We're talking to Dr. Jeff Myers, his brand new book, Truth Changes Everything, How People of Faith Can Transform the World in Times of Crisis. That's what we're supposed to do, ladies and gentlemen. We're supposed to transform the world through the power of the spirit uh we're supposed to be conformed to the image of the sun be ambassadors for him then and transform the world and this book can help you do it been endorsed by everybody including yours truly and we're going to dive into some of these specific topics about truth and the first thing we're going to do when we come back from the break is to what truth is what is truth with dr jeff Myers. so don't go anywhere i'm frank turek you're listening to i don't have enough faith to be an atheist the radio show and the podcast don't go anywhere back in two minutes You're back listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turk on the American Family Radio Network. My guest today, Dr. Jeff Myers, president of Summit Ministries, summit.org. In fact, let me just go to Jeff right now. Jeff, can people start signing up for next summer summit programs already? Can they do that?
0: Yes, that's right. The two-week programs that we have in Colorado and in Lookout Mountain, Georgia are available for 16 to 22-year-olds to sign up right now. A lot of parents have told me this is going to be my Christmas present to my child. Even some grandparents have said to my grandchildren, this is my Christmas present to them because we really want them to, to have a chance to ask all of their tough questions, get wise counsel from great Christian thought leaders and everything from apologetics to economics and come away with a significantly greater confidence in a biblical worldview.
1: By the way, it's a kind of a who's who in Christian apologetics who teaches at Summit. Not only does Jeff teach there, but you'll find people like Jay Warner Wallace and Sean McDowell and Greg Kokel and Brett Kunkel, and uh, I teach there on occasion. There's, there's several others, so if you really want your kids to learn the truth about Christianity and be philosophically, theologically, and apologetically grounded— uh, Summit is a great place to go. And it's a good idea to get them a Christmas present, right? Because, look, if, especially if you go to the Colorado, you go to Manitou Springs up there, man, that's a beautiful area in the summer. They're going to have a lot of fun, too. It's not just all academics. What? Just, just give our, our viewers and listeners here some of the things that the students do while they're at Summit, Jeff.
0: Oh, wow. Well, you know, at Summit, you're... You're one block away from Pike National Forest. So all the hiking, climbing, rock climbing that you want to do, whitewater rafting, uh, you know, all of the stuff that you can think of to do in Colorado that's fun, we do. Mm-hmm. So we work hard, we play hard. We tell students, bring your questions with you. We are not afraid of questions at Summit. We want to interact with you, want to dialogue with you. We want you to come, come away feeling like you have good answers. And, and it does make a difference. George Barna helped, helped me do some of the studies on our students. And we found that 4% of young adults in the United States of America have a biblical worldview. Mm. By the time they graduate from Summit, 85% have a biblical worldview. So it can literally be a transformative two-week yeah, experience. Yeah, do
1: it when they're young, as young as possible, 16. Get them out there, ladies and gentlemen. In any event, Jeff, let's go back to the book, Truth Changes Everything. How, how do you define truth? Just so we're all on the same page here. What do we mean by truth?
0: Uh, truth is what actually is. hmm so it's, so it's reality that the reality actually exists. Jesus said in John eight 31 and 32, if you follow my teachings, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The word for truth there, you know, the, they took Jesus' words, put them into the Greek language. The, the word is Aletheia it literally means reality. So Jesus is saying you, if you follow my teachings, you will know reality. And yet that knowledge of reality will set you free which I think a lot of people are suspicious of these days, Frank. Well, how do you know that your view of reality is the actual correct view Mm -hmm. of reality? Mm -hmm. But, you know, in the 1970s, the psychiatrist M. Scott Peck wrote a book called The Road Less Traveled. He was not a believer at the time he wrote that book. But even he said, no one can get to the place of mental health unless they are willing to grapple with reality as it actually is. Mm. You can't have mental health. You can't have national or societal health unless you're willing to say this is the way it actually is, not some fantasy world.
1: Well, unfortunately, there's a lot of people living in a fantasy world when they can't even recognize what their gender is. That is a huge problem, as you mentioned earlier, because what could be more obvious than your gender, your your sex? That's an example, right. Uh, you know, we
0: we've pulled uh, specifically on that, Frank. We've polled uh, a lot on that at some administrators. Now, obviously, we're not a polling company, mm-hmm. but we do want to understand the cultural moment. So, we work with several different research companies that are highly respected, and we found that ninety, basically ninety percent of Americans are opposed to that way of thinking. Mm-hmm. That there's no difference between the genders. You know, there's no such thing as male or female, or that that's irrelevant to what's really important. But somewhere between 80 and 90% on any given question of Americans oppose that. So I was just so frustrated. I asked, so then why don't you say anything? Mm. And it turns out 41% of people in America don't say anything. 8% say that uh, I don't say anything because I don't want to be canceled. Uh, 16% say I don't say anything because I don't want to offend anyone. 17% of people say, I don't say anything because I don't know what to say. Mm, So in all of those, Frank, your show is so mission critical right now.
1: Well, let's go back to that. What was the second thing you said there? The uh, the second group of people said, yeah. So, so the people
0: who know the truth—they don't want to get
1: canceled. The second one—they're not
0: speaking up. They don't. They're not. They don't want to get
1: canceled. They don't want to offend. All right. All right. Yeah. Let's stop on that one for a second. They don't want to offend. Well, that you know what that means. It means basically that you think that not offending is more important than loving someone. Basically, that's what they're saying. Because if yeah, you don't tell them the truth, how are you going to love them? You don't love them by, by keeping them in their fantasy world. You, 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 no, in what area of life would you? Yeah, I mean, if,
0: so if, let's say you and I are coaches of a, of a football uh-huh. team. You know, we have a player who's not performing up to expectations, and we know what's wrong and we know how to fix it, Mm -hmm. but we don't want to offend him because, you know, he might go to the college president and say, my coach is being mean to me. (laughs) No one would put up with that Mm -hmm. on a football Mm -hmm. team. Mm -hmm. No one would look at somebody who has an alcohol addiction Mm -hmm. and say, well, you know what? Just drink up, man, because I, I, I should say something to you I know. But I don't want to offend you. Mm. No, especially in situations that are difficult, it's important to be able to right.
1: speak up. Right, especially uh, the transgender issue right now. It, it, as Dr. Paul McHugh from John Hopkins said, it's like anorexia. We would never give an anorexic liposuction. Uh, we would say, no, if your 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 mind is wrong, your body's your body's fine. We just need to get more nutrition in your body. We're not going to allow your mental delusion to to destroy you. Yet, here we are on transgenderism, and we think we're helping people by allowing them to stay in their mental delusion when we're not. All the the data shows, even if they get the so-called operation, 10 years later, they have a suicide rate 19 times higher than the general public. This is not helping them. And we've got to be bold enough and loving enough to tell them the truth, and that's what this book does. Truth changes everything. How yeah. people are. Yeah, I want to make one more comment on yeah, that, Frank, ahead.
0: because because you know the confusion is real that young adults face. You work with a lot of young yeah. adults, I do too. The confusion they face is real. Uh, they face all kinds of identity questions, not the questions, not just gender identity, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but you don't deal with that by by a mutilating their bodies. Right. You don't do that by injecting them with experimental drugs that cost $4,000 a month that they will have to take for the rest of their lives that will the, uh, the side effects of which are not known because there's no on-label use of drugs like mm-hmm. that for children. Mm-hmm. So th- this is this is the issue that that not only are we saying Well, whatever you want to believe inside of you is okay, they're actually promising children something that is impossible, Yes, that you can be a boy and you can become a girl. There are 6,500 biological differences between males and females, and nothing about these treatments changes that, but they are extremely dangerous and extremely expensive.
1: Do you cover that much in the book? Because I read the book six months ago, Jeff, the book is Truth <laughs> Changes Everything. And I'm trying to remember if you covered the transgender issue in that kind of detail.
0: You know, I don't. I, I, I make a couple of comments uh-huh. here and there just to try to orient people yeah. to it, the, the, the distinctions that we know to be true. Mm-hmm. Like humans are mammals. Mammals are dimorphous. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am writing an ebook right now with a journalist on that topic. So, uh, when I when that comes out, I'll let you know. Maybe we can.
1: Talk yeah, about absolutely. That. Let's de- let's uh, go to the next question. After we de- define truth as truth is what corresponds to reality. Truth is what is. How do we know truth? Because I know you've been on some secular uh, interviews lately, Jeff, for this book, Truth Changes Everything. And the secular people will say, "Well, why do you just have to have it your way, right?" Well, let's back up a <laughs> step further and say, "How can?" The the guy who disagrees with you and you both discover what the truth is. How do we discover what truth is?
0: Yeah, yeah, Well, it it helps to go back and just start asking questions. Okay, let's let's work our way back to something that we can agree on. Mm-hmm. Can we agree that certain facts about the physical world can be established? Mm-hmm. Can we agree, for example, that if I go up on the top of my roof and think feelings of upness <laughs> that I will still go down when I jump. Right.
1: Okay. Can yeah. we agree on that? Yeah, right. right,
0: right. And, and if you can't get agreement on that, obviously there's no point in continuing mm-hmm, the conversation. Mm-hmm. So, so usually it gets to the place where people say, but I just don't think that moral questions can be known for sure. Mm. Those are all in the realm of opinion. Mm. Okay. Then I start bringing up things that everybody's concerned about. What about justice? is justice just an opinion Mm -hmm. if i say that i I saw uh some some people being racially uh, racially mistreated or mistreated because of their race that it's just my opinion that that is wrong Mm. are you saying that my opinion it is my opinion but it, it only matters if i get into a position of power because stanley fish who's a professor of law actually said you are entitled to your own facts if you can make them stick Okay, well then it's an issue of power, isn't it? So what distinguishes you from Big Brother, right? The whole idea in in 1984 was Newspeak. And in fact, Sim told Winston in the book, he said, you don't understand the beauty of the destruction of words. At some point, we will make thought crime stop because there will be no words with which to express it. Mm. We will change language to that point. Mm. So the fact is, words and things, or or ideas and things have essences. Mm -hmm. They project something that is similar. So we might disagree on who to vote for to pursue justice more, but we can at least agree that justice is a real thing, and it doesn't depend on my opinion. But how do we know that? That's usually where I go.
1: How do we know that, though? How How do we come to the conclusion that, say, murder's wrong or racism's wrong?
0: Yeah, we don't, we don't have to come to any conclusions about it. We simply acknowledge what's actually real. And, and that's where I think the, 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 the believers, the Jesus followers in history, they didn't, they didn't really try to debate the non-believers a lot. Mm-hmm. They just said, well, you know what? I'm going to pursue my thing. I, uh, you say that you can't step in the same river twice, and so therefore no science is possible. I believe that science is possible i believe that if i do an experiment at time a and experiment at time b that i'm experimenting in the same world so i'm just going to go ahead and pursue that and that's why you look back in history at the people who founded modern science of the 52 whose inventions and discoveries ground modern science only one of them was an atheist Mm. i I never knew that i never Mm -hmm. knew things like that Mm -hmm. so that was actually my point in the book frank is not just to make the philosophical arguments but to show people in history who actually did this, who are like us.
1: Well, we'll get into it right after the break. You're listening. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist with me, Frank Turek. The book is Truth Changes Everything by Dr. Jeff Myers. He's my guest today. He's the president of Summit Ministries, which you need to check out, summit.org. We're back in only two minutes. this sunday november 13th ladies and gentlemen i'll be at waxall baptist church just south of charlotte not far from where i live looking forward to being there being home and uh, we're doing the sunday morning service and then at 5 p.m we're going to continue with i don't have enough faith to be an atheist and then take your questions in a two-hour evening service so check all that out on our website crossexamined.org click on events you'll see frank Turk calendar there Talking to my friend, uh, Jeff Myers, Dr. Jeff Myers, brand new book, Truth Changes Everything. And ladies and gentlemen, it does. Now, Jeff, I want to go back. where We kind of got cut off uh, for the break. Go, give us some epistemology here. How do we know what truth okay. is?
0: Uh, the, for, there, there's one thing that has to be established first. If we can't mm-hmm. agree on this, then there's not much point in the discussion. And mm-hmm. that is that the law of non-contradiction So, mm-hmm. a, a thing cannot be both true and not true at the same time and in the same sense. So you cannot have fracking and no fracking in Pennsylvania at the same time. And in the same sense, you can't have a 30% tax and a 75% tax in the, at the same time. And in the same sense, once we agree on that, and we also agree that we're willing to be undeceived, mm. that we can acknowledge that truth is actually there, even if we aren't paying attention to it. And even if we are deceiving ourselves, if we can establish those ground rules, then there are two things we can do. First of all, is to look at all of the arguments for saying that truth doesn't exist and see if they actually are the hold water. And the second thing is to give some evidence that truth actually does exist. So what why would somebody say truth doesn't exist? Because they believe that truth is whatever helps me win, mm. which is self-centered. They might believe in pragmatism, you know, truth is whatever works. Mm. So whatever i whatever i think is going to work like the u.n declaration of human rights in 1948 never said human rights violations are wrong it just said the assigned nations agree that these <laughs> are wrong right well that so if would... they didn't agree right. would they be wrong and jacques maritain actually was a catholic philosopher and he was asked this question he said well we all agree on the rights as long as no one asks us why Ooh, so they're not grounded those in anything huh Right. Yeah. Yeah. So because they would have to acknowledge, well, then if the Nazis had won, then they would have been right,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: according to that standard. Right. Right. And everybody knew that, but nobody wanted to say it aloud. Mm -hmm. So the arguments for the idea that truth is relative are are extremely weak. But then you also see a lot of strength behind the idea that there is such a thing as truth. For example, one thing we talked about earlier in the show is that truth rises, Mm -hmm. that whenever you try to talk about it. You do make distinctions in your mind between what is so and what is not so just in order to develop the concepts. Second thing is, and, and people in philosophy call this essentialism, kind of making a comeback, the idea that you can, you can observe the essence of things. Like it, you can know, for example, that something unjust has happened because it's not as it ought to be, mm. which indicates to us that we do have this sense of oughtness. And this is universal. Across the world, there are different, there are moral some moral differences between groups of people, but most things are in common, and which actually is what makes the differences meaningful. For example, there, C.S. Lewis pointed this out in, in some of his writings. There's no society in which cowardice is elevated as a virtue. Mm. There are societies in which a man may have more than one wife, but he may not have another man's wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no society in which uh, the the uh, intentional killing of an innocent person is viewed as a positive good you know so in in, you know and say people say ah, but this you know little tribe here or there they can dispute that but you but you see we can't even have a meaningful discussion about that unless we acknowledge that there is some moral core Mm. and then the words that we use this is one that i spent a lot of time studying when i was in school just the nature of communication the fact that we can talk at all And I can even disagree with you, but we know that it's an actual disagreement because you know that my words are meaningful and I know that my words are meaningful. Now, a word is not the same thing as the thing to which it refers. But if there is a relationship between them and we all assume that there is, then then our communication becomes meaningful. But why would we assume there is that kind of a relationship? And then I think finally, it's just the fact that we can make rational arguments we can we can know when we phrase things in a certain way that there's really not a way to to dispute them and that's where for example the law of non-contradiction comes into place you can't have no restrictions on abortion and 100 percent restrictions on abortion in the same time and in the same way and even people who say truth is relative will have to at least agree on that Mm -hmm. okay so then where so where do we go from there Unless there is such a thing as truth, we can't even have a discussion asking, how do we know there is such a thing as truth? Yeah,
1: that's right. And you could never detect lies if there was no truth, uh, which seems quite obviously ridiculous. Everyone's accusing everyone else of lies all the time, particularly in our culture. Well, what do you mean? If there's no truth, there can't be lies. Now, through the book, uh, truth changes everything, Jeff. You've got stories to illustrate points you want to make. Just pick a story, say, from science that shows how Christians actually helped advance science.
0: Oh, there are some fun examples. There are many because most of the people, virtually all of the people who established modern science were believing Christians. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they weren't believing Christians just because it was culturally appropriate at that time. In fact, John Lennox, who's a retired mathematics professor at Oxford University, said two thirds of the people who've ever won the Nobel Prize in science said that they were Christians Mm -hmm. when they were asked about their religious affiliation. So some of these individuals were uh, uh, Robert Boyle is, is an example, the guy who founded modern chemistry. This kid, he could have grown up as a trust fund baby his father, their home, their family home was built by King John. They purchased it from Sir Walter Raleigh. Wow. It's like a 20,000 square foot house plus, you know, all the land that goes around it. You can rent it, actually, uh, for $100,000 a week still to this day. So this kid grew up was one of the wealthiest kids in England. But he said, I believe that God wants me to be an experimental philosopher, which is was his term for scientist. Mm. But I'm not sure how this relates to my faith. So he actually wrote a book you can still get this book to this day. It's hard to read because it's in old English, but he says in the book, you can be an experimental philosopher and reconcile that with your faith, that it brings glory to God mm. to do that. Mm. That, that, that this idea that there is some sort of a conflict between faith and science is, you know, that's, it's fake news. Uh, Lord, Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs from London, the the great religious uh, Jewish leader in London, said science takes things apart to see how they work. Religion puts things together to see what they mean. Mm. You have to have both of these things working in concert. And sometimes it was actually the pursuit of a spiritual truth that led to a scientific breakthrough. So I was thinking of the example of Copernicus, who's the guy who helped uh, helped humanity discover that the earth revolves around the sun rather than the other way around. And he he found this out because he was teaching a Bible study about the resurrection mm-hmm. and the truth of the Bible and wanted to reliably discern the date of Easter. So he started doing all these calculations and said the calculations are not working out if the earth is at the center, they do work out if the sun is at the wow. center. And then of course, all of history changed as a result. Johannes Kepler is another example while we're on astronomy. Uh, it's was fascinating. He was looking at the, uh, he, you know, starting with heliocentrism, he's trying to figure out where the planets are and what the nature of the orbit is. And he's thinking, okay, it's a circular or- orbit, right? So, of course, it's circular. And then his calculations didn't work out. They were off by a tiny, tiny fraction. Eight minutes. Uh, you know, so a minute uh one degree of arc has 60 minute arc minutes in it it was off by eight minutes for the entire globe this tiny 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 fraction and he said that's not good enough it's not close enough so he had to go back and rethink everything that's how he discovered that the orbits are elliptical hmm. and so uh, and but you know why did he do all of his work? He's very clear he said I think God gave us these mysteries so that we could understand his invisible nature and bring glory to him.
1: Wasn't it Kepler, Jeff, who said, I'm paraphrasing, but he said something like, when we study nature, we're thinking God's thoughts after him. Was that Kepler? I think think it was.
0: Think God's thoughts after him. Yes, that was Kepler.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So science is interesting, but you know, even, I I love language. I love Mm -hmm. thinking about education. Mm -hmm. That was for, for a lot of my career, I was a professor and, and, I I remember I was looking back at the story of John Wycliffe. This is a fun story. I actually told this to Eric Metaxas, and he said, I've never heard that story before, which I thought was hilarious because this guy's written how many thousands of pages of history books. Right so so john Wycliffe wanted to translate the bible into english he was a smart guy he was a professor at oxford university he knew that if he did this he might be risking his own life because latin was considered to be the perfect language if you translate the bible from latin into english it's sort of like adding curse words every third or fourth word you would never do that it would be <laughs> irreverent all right so but he said listen moses heard from god in his own language the disciples heard from jesus in their own language and the people today need to hear from God in their own language. So he risked his life to put together a translation of the Bible into English. But here's the problem. There was no standardized English. Mm. He invented 1,100 words. I should, I should say it this way. There are 1,100 words that are used for the first time in his translation of the Bible. Wow, Words like treasure, mystery, uh, the word wordy. It's used for the first time uh-huh. in his translation of the bible sex is used for the first time i guess you you could do it you just couldn't talk about it apparently before <laughs> before that in english. but he but here's the point his translation of the bible standardized the english language which to this day remains the main trade language in the world it literally his, his biblical interest in helping people hear God's word in their own language, literally changed the course of the entire world and continues to do so every time we talk. You can't really say that you're a civilized person without having read the King James Version of the Bible at least once. Mm-hmm. At least that was the conclusion of Richard Dawkins. And Christopher you know, Hitchens, he was, his read, Yeah, Yeah,
1: <laughs> same, yeah. same. And, and think about that, friend. <laughs> the most important document in the history of the world we don't even teach to our kids. Why would that be? Anyway, we're talking to Jeff Myers, his brand new book, Truth Changes Everything, How People of Faith Can Transform the World in Times of Crises. And uh, that's what we need to do, friends. We're back with Jeff right after this. Don't go anywhere. I'm Frank Turek. See you in two minutes. we're talking to jeff myers ladies and gentlemen his new book truth changes everything how people of faith can transform the world in times of crises we just came through an election now we're recording this just prior to the election but there is a chapter here in this book how jesus followers have changed politics it's very interesting jeff give us a story or two about this uh, from the book truth changes everything
0: yeah frank uh, it's funny how uh, when i do secular interviews that's the first chapter they turn to.
1: Uh-huh. They're like,
0: okay, I see what's going on here. He's trying to get us to pick sides and this whole <laughs> book has just been just been a way to lead up to that. Yep. <laughs> uh, but that is not the point. The point is that even the political systems that we take for granted as having value in our own day, systems where people actually have a voice where they can select of their leaders, where the government acknowledges that our rights come from God and are mm-hmm. secured by government, rather than given by government. All of those principles were derived from uh, scripture and from people who were trying to reason biblically. There are a couple of stories that I think are really fun. Just one is just the fact of, of the American founders. Uh, they, they recognized that humanity was sinful. They, they put together a document that they knew wasn't perfect. They weren't saying this is the perfect document. They were saying this sets in motion A self correcting system of government. The historian Wilford McClay from the University of Oklahoma is just brilliant about this. He said the founders wrote the Constitution with the, or built the Constitution with the crooked timber of humanity in mind. Mm. So of the 56 individuals who signed the Declaration of Independence, 51, possibly 53, of, up to 53 of them were known to have been Christians. Mm-hmm. Of the 204 individuals who constitute our founding fathers in America, virtually all of them were members of a Christian denomination. Now, that doesn't mean they were Christian. You can be a Baptist and not be a Christian, mm-hmm. uh, but you, but you, you can go, go to a Baptist church and not be a Christian. But the point is, look back at the sources they referenced. So Donald Lutz is a history professor, a political science a political scientist, I think, as well. And he he looked at fifteen thousand documents related to America's founding, and found that the Bible is quoted more than all of the other sources put together. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just the people were trying to come up with a you know here's here's a Bible verse to prove my particular point. They were actually looking back at the Old Testament to see what did the Hebrew Republic look like and how can we develop it? So people today debate about this. They say, oh, you know, Christians, if you put Christians in charge, they're gonna have a theocracy. Mm-hmm. You put Christians in charge, you get a Republic. Right, yeah. That's what you get. That's what you got on the Old Testament and you that's what get you got in you the American yeah. experiment as well.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: Obviously, there's not. it's not guaranteed, but mm-hmm. if you start with the assumption that humans are corruptible and there need to be balances, And second, you recognize that you don't know everything, but you want to put in in place a rational process by which the things can be changed over time, then you're at least moving in in the right direction. So where did we even get all of that? So a lot of people go back to John Locke. That's interesting because he actually, in his two treatises of government, went back to the book of Genesis to start his discussion. Mm. But then you can look back to Samuel Rutherford. I think it's a cool story. He wrote a book called Lex Rex. It's a cool, very short title. means the law is the king. The subtitle, by the way, Frank, is 136 words long. I won't quote that for you. (laughs) But he makes his argument. and he makes Mm -hmm. it all on the front page of the book. So Lex Rex, the law is the king. What is the big deal? Because in England at that time, the nature of the monarchy was Rex Lex, that the king is the law. Whatever the king says is what is legal. Whatever the king says is illegal is what is illegal. Samuel Rutherford didn't just give his opinion. He was a Presbyterian pastor. He had a lot lot of viewpoints. But he, he specifically drew on the history of even international law. Hugo Grotius, who was a believer as well, kind of the founder of international law, drew on all of that to say, no, the law is in charge. The king is not in charge. And the king obviously was very upset. He thought, man, things are getting out of hand. He sent his soldiers to arrest Rutherford rutherford died before the soldiers arrived he said on his deathbed i have been summoned by a higher authority Mm -hmm. and the king was furious but you know the horse is out of the barn as they say at that point no one from that point on even with in countries with a monarchy seriously believed that the king was the law except in cases of dictators like in the soviet union and in china and Nazi Germany and other places. So it's you—you you ignore those instructions from Scripture at your own peril, and and it's it's a fascinating thing to look at the very political structures that we stand to lose if we give up the idea of truth.
1: Now, um, one of the most pithy things I think have that has ever been said about government and human nature was said by our founding father, who wrote most of the Bill of Rights, at least certainly the First Amendment, and that was James Madison, who famously said in Federalist 51, if men were angels, no government would be necessary. Think about that, ladies and gentlemen. There's so much to be said, or there's so much said in that one sentence. (laughs) If men were angels, no government would be necessary. We're fallen. We need government, but we also don't want to have a government that isn't uh, easily correctable as well. And that's what you're saying here, Jeff. And that's what Rutherford was saying as well that we need to have a way to correct the excesses. Because if we get anybody with too much power in there, they're corruptible as well. And they can abuse the people. So
0: that's right. Yeah. A government powerful enough to give you everything you want mm-hmm. is powerful enough to take everything you have. That's right. We must never forget that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot writing on this. If we don't recover truth, I, I don't. I, so most of the book, True Changes Everything, mm-hmm. was really cool stories of people who, in times of crisis, turned things around when it seemed impossible.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But we now face that own, our, moment in our own time. We have to decide, will we stand for truth? Because no civilization has ever abandoned reality to the point of where we are in the United States of America today and survived without somehow reviving concept of truth.
1: What are some things other than obviously reading the book, you're going to recommend that our listeners and viewers do something with this. What can we begin to do to recover truth and stand for truth in our culture then, Jeff?
0: Frank, you you have to take a risk and stand up and actually speak out. Mm. So the greatest threat to truth isn't some bureaucrat in Washington, D.C. making rules. The greatest threat is people who know the truth and don't say anything. Mm. That is where we are right now, where, you know, at least from the research we've done, it looks like half the country is just kind of sitting on its hands Mm -hmm. and people talk about the silent majority, but we never, we never really consider the possibility that if good people don't say anything, then bad people get all of the airtime Mm -hmm. and they will say whatever they want because their, their interest is constructing an alternative reality That serves their own interests rather than acknowledging reality as it actually is. What do you think some of the
1: interests are that these people have when we say these people, we might say people on the far left, the George Soros of the world, uh, maybe the Klaus Schwab's of the world, you know, the uh, the World Economic Forum, these elites that want to either get a one world government or take down capitalism or take out take down freedom. What is their agenda? Why do they want to do this, Jeff?
0: Well, there are conspiracy viewpoints about this, but I think I think we can actually just look at what they say. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody says they intend to kill you, you should probably believe them. Mm-hmm. If somebody says they believe that humans having too much responsibility for their own lives is bad for the planet and it should be taken away from them, then you should believe that that's what they intend mm-hmm. to
1: do. Mm-hmm.
0: And when you mention Schwab and uh, Soros and so forth. That's precisely where they're going with this. They, they believe they're on a mission to save the planet from humanity. It's exactly the opposite of a biblical worldview, which says that God made human beings and put them in a position of stewardship to care for things and to tend them. Mm. Uh, it, it, but, you know, it's interesting. They're, 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 things are not going their way when it comes to a lot of the research. Paul Romer, Nobel Prize winning economist, did a major study of this, and he found that humans are the solution, not the problem. Mm. We want more people on the planet, not fewer. Mm. It's exactly the opposite of what we are are being told, that all of the great solutions to all of the problems that we will ever face are in the minds and hearts of people yet to be born.
1: Mm. Or the minds and hearts of people we've aborted.
0: And, you know, that right. So when in Scripture, when Cain killed Abel, the Scripture says, if you look at the original Hebrew, it says his bloods cry out to me from the ground. It isn't just his blood as in the liquid coming out of his body. It is his future. It is all of the potential that could have come from his offspring that would benefit humanity that has been lost.
1: Hmm. Well, Jeff, we're running out of time here uh, in this particular show, but if you have a few minutes more, we'll do a bonus program that we'll release midweek around uh, Tuesday. Can you stay for a few more minutes? Yeah, I'd love to. All right. Yeah. the, the, The book, friends, is Truth Changes Everything, How People of Faith Can Transform the World in Times of Crisis. We just talked about a few of the issues that Jeff covers in the book. We talked a little bit about science, a little bit about politics, but there's, stuff in here about the arts, about the pursuit of justice, about work, about the value of human life, how we care for one another. There's equally interesting stories and insights that you can get from this book uh, in those topics or on those topics. So I highly recommend you get The Truth Changes Everything, How People of Faith Can Transform the World in Times of Crisis. Uh, Jeff, where can people learn more about you and your work? If you just
0: go to summit.org, you can find out more about Summit Ministries. We're equipping and supporting this rising generation to embrace God's truth and champion a biblical worldview. There's a resource library there of available resources that are free, video clips answering a lot of key questions. All the programs that we have available, you can find out more at summit.org and and a lot of conversational things too. And that's Frank, I think one of the parts of the chat of the book, I was most excited about how to actually have these conversations.
1: Yes. So check it out, friends, summit.org, that's summit.org. You definitely want to send your young person there next summer. Sign up now before it fills up. It fills up quickly. All right, I'm Frank Turk. Uh, Lord willing, we will see you here next week. Actually, we'll see you in the bonus session that'll be released Tuesday. Check it out. See you then. God bless.